0: I want to tell you this morning about Rudy Morin's car. Rudy's sitting right here in about the fifth row, covering his face. He's given me permission to tell you about his car. Rudy's daily car, he has a 35-year-old Mercedes-Benz. Rudy's owned this car way longer than most people own cars. And because he's owned it for so long, and he knew from the beginning he would have it this long, he maintains the car really well. He's a good steward of his car. Tires, brakes, oil. You see, Rudy knowing he's going to have the car for a long time stewards these things. Every time I see Rudy around town with his car, I I look at it, I think about it, I check his tires to make sure they're in good condition. Oh, and by the way, after the first service, I got in some trouble from Mark Curtis. He wants me to tell you all that washing your car is also an important part of maintenance. (laughs) Mark owns the splash car washes around town, so (laughs) tires, brakes, oil, and car washes are how we maintain our cars, knowing that we're going to have them for a long time. Now, we live in a 36-month lease world, don't we? Most of us have cars that we just lease from the bank or the auto dealer for 36 months, and we just turn it in at the end. A lot of people don't even know how to buy new tires for their cars because they don't need to. The tires wear out around the same time the lease is up, but Rudy, knowing that he's going to have his car for a very long time, puts tires, brakes, oil, and car washes to maintain his car. And Betty, isn't your Mercedes also 20-something years old as well? It's friends in the family. <laughs> so why am I telling you about Rudy's 35-year-old Mercedes-Benz? Well, as you may know, we're beginning a series now on stewardship looking to the Bible at how best to steward our time, our talent, our treasure, and our faith. And today we're going to be looking at this chapter, 1 Peter 1, about how to steward our time. And what Peter has done for us in this chapter is he's simply taken the time horizon and stretched it way out into eternity to teach us how to steward our time here on earth. Just like Rudy knew he'd have his car for decades, and that impacted how he would steward his car. So we, knowing that we're going to live forever, can better steward our time here on earth. So how might we steward our time on earth, considering the fact that we have eternity? Well, it's not with tires, brakes, and oil, but according to the text, it's with holiness Fear and earnest love. Holiness, fear, and earnest love. The passage we read today begins and ends with glimpses of eternity. It begins by saying, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it ends by saying, We have been born anew, not with a perishable seed with an imperishable one. So in the context of eternity, in the context of the fact that we are going to live forever, that our time horizon is stretched far beyond the way we normally think in a 36-month lease world, how might we steward our time here on earth? Well, the text shows us that it's with holiness, with fear, and with earnest love. Now, those require some explanation, don't they? that we are to steward our time with holiness. Let's begin with that and try to understand it together. Verse 14 says this, As obedient children, in light of eternity now, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct this is a hard one to accept, isn't it? If the sermon ended there, it might feel a little harsh. It might just feel like one more law. Okay, I'm supposed to walk out of here and go try my best to be holy. But I have to point out something about this. It doesn't just give us a command to be holy. It says, be holy as he is holy. You know, it says later on in the text that we are born anew, we're born again with his seed, with his spiritual DNA in us. Because he is holy, it says, and if he's living in us, we too will become, we will be holy. So how does holiness apply then to how we steward our time? We have to talk about what holiness means. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy is simply to be set apart, to be set apart and to be pure. So how can we steward our time then with holiness? Well, you might recall the commandment about the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it, what is it? Holy. Set it apart. Make it different. Make one day a week different as you steward your time in light of eternity. Make one day per week different than the other six. It says, for six days you shall complete all your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Observe the Sabbath, keeping it holy. I remember when we were living in New York City. We lived on Central Park West, so we spent tons of time in Central Park. I loved Central Park. And I remember clearly on Friday afternoons, you all have been to Manhattan, you know the hustle and bustle of the city, especially on Fridays, it's just kind of crazy. Everybody's going a million miles an hour, got to be getting somewhere. But if you go into Central Park on a Friday afternoon, as it goes into evening, you'll see something interesting. You see the Hasidic Jewish people. And they're on a totally different timeline than everybody else. Sabbath is beginning for them. And they're walking so slowly, just together, usually as family units, pushing strollers, having conversation, as if they have all the time in the world. I think they're on to something. Because in light of eternity, when we consider the fact that we've been given an infinite number of days, we can think of our time here on earth differently. Because if this is all there is then yeah, we should probably work seven days a week to get ahead, to accumulate all we can before we die. That's a 36-month lease kind of thinking. But if we're going to be with God for eternity, we can spend, we can steward our days differently here on earth. We can take one day a week, set it apart, make it pure, make it holy, give it to God, not try to get ahead here on earth because doing that will prepare us to be with God forever. Forever. A couple of years ago, we were on an elders retreat and uh, one of the elders turned to me and he was asking me about how my life is going and he looked a little bit confused and he said, Nathan, help me understand something. You're a pastor, you're a husband and father, and you are a doctoral student and you don't seem stressed out. What's your secret? And I said, well, I think, I think it's because I observe the Sabbath every week and I rest And he looked at me, he just about fell off his chair. And he said, you mean to tell me you do all of that in six days a week? (laughs) There's a mystery about the Sabbath. It's counterintuitive. But when we set it apart, when we steward our time on earth in light of eternity, setting apart one day a week, making it holy, making it different than the other six days, we begin to prepare ourselves for Eternity, you see how we are stewarding our time differently. Rudy knows he needs tires, brakes, oil, and car washes to keep the car going long. We can steward our time with holiness to prepare ourselves to be with him for all of eternity. Secondly, in light of eternity, we steward our time here on earth with fear, with fear of God. Now, we have to explain this because this could be confusing to some. So verse 17 says this, If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear. This is a hard one to grasp, especially in our postmodern culture. Postmodern philosophy says there are no authorities, there are no absolute truths. In fact, the reason we reject authority is because authorities usually are to be feared. They abuse their authority. So postmodernism says fear nobody. The only people you should fear are people who think there's somebody in charge. Well, the Bible flies in the face of postmodern philosophy. You really can't reconcile the two because the Bible says that there is a God, there is a present Father who judges impartially, a Father who judges impartially. Therefore, we are to conduct ourselves with fear of Him who judges us. A couple of days ago, I was in the kitchen snacking on something on the kitchen counter, and uh, my five-year-old daughter, Eva, came running in, and she's always kind of gathering information. She kind of collects data. You know, it's how her brain works. And I could tell she had a question on her mind, and she hopped up on the counter next to me, and she started snacking on what I was snacking on. She turned to me, and she said, Daddy, is Mommy the judge of this house? (laughs) And I said, what do you mean, sweetheart? Do you mean, like is she in charge? Is she the authority? She looked at me, and she said, is Mommy the judge of this house? And I said, well, you know, God is, is our judge and he's put mommy and daddy in charge of, of this family. And, and so, um, so yeah, so mommy and daddy are in charge. She looked at me and she said, I think mommy's the judge of this house. And she ran <laughs> off. <laughs> I think she must have heard somebody say, you're not the judge of me or something, you know. So. But even children, they want to know who the judge is, who's the authority, who's in charge, who's got this. And into adulthood, sometimes we forget that God is our present father. He is our good judge. In postmodern philosophy, we often reject authorities because we've known that human beings have abused their authority over the years. But what if there was a good and perfect judge who always had our best interest in mind? That's the difference. This is a holy and reverent fear of God because he's good. You remember the time when Jesus was on the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and he was sleeping, and his disciples were terrified because a furious storm came up. There was wind, and there was waves, and they thought they might drown, And then Jesus woke up from the boat, you remember, and he spoke into that terrible storm and suddenly there was absolute calm. And then it shows us the disciples right after that. You remember what it says? It says they looked at Jesus, they were afraid. That's the kind of holy fear God wants us to steward our time on earth with we're not afraid of God because we think he's going to harm us we're afraid we we fear him because he's ultimately in charge of the whole universe he has authority over even nature he has authority over the way things are going to turn out in history we have a holy and righteous and good fear of him because he is good in light of eternity in light of the fact that we've been given an infinite number of days. We are to conduct ourselves, steward our time with holiness, with fear, and with earnest love. With earnest love. Verse 22 says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. When we consider the fact that we have given eternity, we're given a future with God that will last forever, we will steward our time here on earth loving each other earnestly. What does that mean? To love each other earnestly. You see, Most human love expects a return, doesn't it? It's sort of reciprocal. It's kind of like when you're married and you expect your spouse to love you in return. Every time you love your spouse, you get used to the idea of being loved in return. I I think of this in a very simple way in the morning. Whoever gets down to the kitchen first, me or Nancy, and you turn on the pot of coffee, we, we pour not just one cup right? But two, thats sort of a picture, a little illustration of reciprocal love. When you love your spouse, you sort of expect some love in return. But I'm right now walking with somebody, praying with a man in his older years whose wife has been slipping into Alzheimer's more and more and more and more and more. This is a tremendous grief for the man. She forgets who he is sometimes. She cannot reciprocate his love for her. And so he's really struggling with that. And I told him, sitting in my office this week, I said, now you are beginning to experience true Christ-like love. Loving somebody with no expectation of love in return. Loving somebody who forgets you. This is how much God loves us. He loves us with earnest love sincere and pure love. He loves us unconditionally. You see, this text shows us that we go in our time on earth from grace to grace. It's all from his earnest love towards sinners like us. It reminds us we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. He shed his blood for us. That's grace. And what are we headed towards? See what it said in verse 13? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I think about end times, when I think about when Jesus comes back, oftentimes I think about all the chaos, all the war, all the turmoil. But I love what Peter shows us here. At the end of time, when Jesus returns, guess what we're going to get? Another big dose of grace because he's going to give us eternal life. Have you ever considered that because of his grace, because of his earnest love, we have an infinite number of, of days, you ever considered how to steward your time? How many of you considered how you might spend $900 million this week? (laughs) As of this morning, it's up to $1.3 billion. Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you considered (laughs) how you might spend that much money? But have you ever considered how you might steward your time if you were given an infinite number of days. We've been given eternity. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In light of that, in light of eternity, how might we steward our time here on earth? The Bible says we are to steward our time with holiness, with fear, and with earnest love. And when we do that, we... We ready ourselves for eternity. I was talking about first Peter one this week with Pastor Jackie. We were just talking about how amazing it is, and she reminded me of this quote from Dallas Willard. He's this wonderful theologian that we both admire greatly. And he said this amazing thing. He said he wants to live on earth in such a way that when he dies and goes to heaven, he won't realize it for some time that he's in heaven. <laughs> You see, when we steward our time here on earth, our time in the exile with holiness that's set apart, with fear of, of God who's present and who's in charge of the whole universe, and with earnest love as a response to the earnest love he has shown us in Jesus Christ, we ready ourselves for an eternity with him. We will slip into eternity and behold the face of God who is holy We'll fear him in a pure way that that doesn't scare us because we think he's going to harm us. We'll fear him because he's actually the God of the universe. And we will behold earnest love, the earnest love of our Savior. So sometime this week, just spend a moment and and, uh, just take a look at, at your schedule. Take a look at how you steward time. I'll do the same. Am I stewarding my time in light of eternity? Am I treating my life like a 36-month lease where this is all there is? Or am I in view of eternity, in view of the grace that will be given to me, stewarding my time with holiness, fear, and with love? Amen.